What's up, guys? Welcome back to the weekly scraps episode 195. Man, we are rocking and rolling with this podcast now. It's actually really nice that I am being consistent doing this because honestly, in the beginning, I was very, very nervous because I was like, I don't want to start something and then stop doing it like three months in because it's exciting in the beginning. But that's like any adventure, right? So anything that you do in life, you're like nervous to make the jump. Because it's a commitment. You don't want to be that person who's always talking about doing something. And then next thing you know, you just either don't do it. Or then when you do do it, you give up really quickly. And then you kind of make people, you almost feel like there's people watching you and judging you. And like, yeah, I knew he was going to do that kind of thing. Like, you don't want to let nobody down. And of course, of course, you don't want to let yourself down. So my quick message to you guys, if there's something you're passionate about, Stay consistent because consistency is the key no matter how many views, how many likes. You do it because you enjoy it and eventually the good will start to come with that and the viewership will start to come with that as long as you're putting out consistent and good pieces of work that you're comfortable with. And you got to be honest, if you don't like the work that you're doing, you got to review it. You got to have other people review it give you different perspectives and see what they like and don't like, what you could do better, take notes, and just try to improve and become a little bit better each day. The same thing with anything in life, any type of craft, any type of sport, it's all the same. Principles, you got to stay consistent, you know? With that said, I want to give a shout out to Bow Valley Barbecue. Thank you guys for sponsoring this episode's podcast of The Review of UFC Vegas 60. Now, this fight card was fun. And it's always these sleeper cards that people think is not going to do so well because they're like, there's not very, there's not a lot of name value in there. It's not about the name value all the time. Sometimes it is because you could get a lot of fun fights that's really just trash in terms of technique. I mean, if you want to watch that, go to a bar on a late night and just get a couple people drunk, say this guy was saying this, this guy was saying that about your mama, and maybe you get yourself a, a nice show, front row seat to watch a, a good audition. You know what I mean? So with that said, <clears throat> not a ton of name value in terms of people that ha- are established, but people that are very promising coming from the Dana White Contender Series. I believe there was like 12 or 13 people that are alum of the Dana White Contender Series. So Dana White Contender Series, if you don't know, it's a Tuesday night fight. And there's no walkout music. There's no, there's no nothing. It's just a showcase. You come out there, you perform. It's some of the best guys around the world and even around the region. And they go out having winning records. And they try to showcase in front of the bosses, Dana White. Obviously, Dana White Contender Series. The matchmakers. These guys do all their homework and try to put together these fun matchups. Giving these guys an opportunity. And usually, if you get a finish, you usually get a contract. Or if it's a very fun fight. Um, or you go for it and you show some promise. You can get a contract that way as well, which I like better because it makes you feel that like you don't have to go out there and throw the kitchen sink and fight recklessly to try to impress. Like, obviously, the goal is to always finish the fight if you can. Who wants to fight longer than they have to, you know? But you don't want to fight stupid and put yourself in harm's way. Do all that work to get there and it come up short. And then what if you did all that work to get there, you revamped yourself and then you came back and you felt the pressure of that again and then you lost again for the second time on the show. Your chances of getting into the UFC at that point is you better start reaching out to these other promotions. And I'm not saying guys do that. I'm just saying that's how you would feel. Because that's how I would feel. And perfect example is like a guy like Damon Jackson. We're going to get into him too. 
gets cut from the UFC, goes on a nice little run, comes back to the UFC, and now he's finding his footing and doing the damn thing and putting on these crazy performances and looking so much better. I don't know personally if I would have gotten cut, even if it was like three years ago, and I'm 33. Would I have the the mental fortitude to want to work my way back through a killer's row to get to the UFC against these younger, hungry guys because I got a taste of it already. You remember I said it was like three or four years ago. I got a taste of success. I got a taste of getting to the top. These guys haven't. So when you have to fight guys like that, it's a different mindset. There's a different type of beast that you're fighting. It's almost like the guys who get to the NFL. You know, once they get there... Or the league, they start to play a little bit softer or not as competitively as they normally would. And I don't want to ever have to feel that way, you know. So I always give it everything I got for every single training camp. But I know if it wasn't good enough, it's going to make me feel like, what are the odds that I can really come back after those tough losses and then get back to the show and then have success the second time around? And that right there is Damon Jackson. And super impressive because not a lot of people would do that and not a lot of people would have the, the sack to do that, to humble themselves, to want to work hard on the regional level. They're like, oh, I'm a veteran. I, you know, I don't have to do as much because I fought tougher guys in the show. I can... Silly mentality. That's how you get slept, you know? So, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't even know how I got off on that, but yeah, whatever. So let's get right into it. The main event, obviously, Corey Sanhagen beating... Song Yudong, Dr. Stoppage, Dr. Stoppage. Hey, make sure you tell him it's Dr. Stoppage, you know. It was not because you finished me. It was a Dr. Stoppage. But it was via third eye, Anunnaki. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or I'm going to get, like, flagged. I don't know. But he gave him a third eye in the eyebrows, sliced it really bad. Two really bad cuts in the night. This one in the co-main event. Back to back. Now, songs. the cut looked like it was, like, a couple of inches, man. And it was so deep. And this is where I respect these guys, no matter what, any fighter. Because most of the time, you don't have a mirror to look at yourself and go, oh, Friday, when um, Ice Cube and Chris Tucker, they see the guy, they, and they see the, I think they see the chicken, they go, um, damn. It's one of those. So when you see the cut, that's what you would say. And, like, I understand why the doctor or the ref would bring in the doctor to, to, to take a look at this because it's not looking good, you know? So kudos to those fighters who can fight through that. And obviously you don't know how bad it is or how bad it looks until you actually get a mirror. But the fact that you're fighting through it, knowing that you have a gash in your face, is mental toughness, it's heart, it's grit, it's determination, it's the willpower, and uh, I don't know if there's any more adjectives I could use to describe that. It's a very tough thing to do. So for a guy like Song, I thought he was losing the fight going into the fourth round. I had him, I had Sanhagen up three rounds going into the fourth round. You could make the argument the first and second rounds were close because he was throwing big shots. But I thought Corey had more volume. I thought his shots were cleaner. And there were maybe like two shots that I felt like kind of stunned Sanhagen. But it's not like he got rocked where he was like, oh, wobbly legs. He cracked him. He stumbled back. I mean, when you have a guy who moves as much as Sanhagen, and this is what I would like for people to understand. When you're on a bike in transition, 
and someone hits you and they're planted. Their body weight is centered and level with the earth. And as they plant and push through the ground, that force gets transferred through their body from the ground into you. So when you get clapped while you're moving, it makes it that much worse. Just imagine taking a step. So if you're just walking, I'm going to give you guys an example. If you're just walking and someone comes from the side and as you take a step, so they're on your left side, and as you take a step with your, you plant your right foot, you pick up your left, you're about to step and someone pushes you from here, you're going to stumble off balance because you don't have your feet underneath you. So that's my thought process. Whenever I see those type of shots, I go, yeah, that landed, but it wasn't as bad as we may think unless you see the, the sign of a hurt fighter. But if it's all about balance, I'm not looking at a guy that's off balance and then giving him extra credit because he was an off balance fighter. The guy's utilizing his strengths, which is movement. You're utilizing your strengths, which is power and accuracy. Okay, fair. But you can't discredit all the shots that he landed that was cleaner and more definitive in my book. And then you can say it wasn't as equal as power. You, we could also dis, we could argue that all day long because we don't really know because, again, he was moving. So as a moving target, it's not like Sanhagen came in and got cracked as he planted his feet to step into a body shot and gets cracked. And you're like, oh, nah, that landed, son. You got tagged, my boy. That wasn't it. So I hope that makes more sense. So when people say, oh, what were you looking at? I'm like, well, I kind of know what I'm talking about just because I've been in there and I know what those type of little nuances are in the details, you know? So again, I'm not trying to discredit Song, but I think his timing was really good in terms of catching Sanhagen in the transition and as he was moving. But I don't think any of those shots actually stung him to the point where we're like, that was the most impactful strike. If, if a guy's partially blocking it, you catch him when he's off balance, I, I think it's just as equal as me popping you with a jab and you're stationary because you eat all of it because your feet are planted. And as I stick you with that jab, you take the entire force, especially if it's clean. If it's going off the glove, that's a whole... Again, it's little tiny things. That's why for me, I just said, I think Corey edged him out. I'm not saying he was, oh, no, definitely Corey all four rounds. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 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 bro. Yeah. No. I'm saying I just thought it was up three rounds to none going into that fourth round and then obviously going into the fifth, the fifth round. We didn't get to see the fifth because the doctor came in and said, we're not going to see anymore because the cut was so bad. It was like, we're not going to, we didn't need to see that because obviously was, you get my point. <laughs> I made myself laugh. I'm sorry, guys. I do this often in my downtime, in my, fr in my free time. But again, song for the great fight. Now, the thing that impressed me the most, because I got to give credit where credit is due. This is just how I am. Even if they're in my weight class, I don't give a shit. Because at the end of the day, if I, I got to fight the guy, I give him the credit because that's what's going to help me know what they're good at. Because I got to be honest. Song was dangerous the entire fight. There wasn't one moment where this guy was like out of the fight. You're like, oh my goodness, Sanhagen is running away with it. There's nothing Song can do. Oh. Nothing ever like that. He was throwing power throughout the entire night. And you can make the argument that he was tired, slowing down, and then recharging the battery, getting the downtime as he's just stalking Corey. And he wasn't cutting him off as well as I thought he could have. He was kind of chasing Corey. There were some moments of brilliance where he did cut him off and he reset it and came back and then started to cut him off a little bit better. And then he started to start his attack offensively. And load up on those shots. But again, because he was doing that, I felt like he was recharging his battery and waiting for the right moments to explode. And that's what made him dangerous the entire fight. Because it's like, yes, he's getting tired. Corey is making him work. 
But because he's making him work, he's reserving his energy. And when he does go, the guy goes freaking hard. Yudong is trying to take your head off. So very impressed with that because there was literally no wavering in power from the first round until the fourth round, and until the end of the fourth round, in my opinion, I felt like Song was dangerous the entire time. And Corey had to be on his P's and Q's and had to be really mindful of his footwork while in there. Like, that's absolute focus that you have to have to touch a guy up from the outside and being careful of when he starts his offensive attack to maneuver, cover, and shake and get out of there cleanly. Now, the other thing that I thought that Corey did that was really brilliant and this is what I try, and I, I hate making when I have to compare myself in this, but I kind of have to, just to give a, a proper analogy. Now, people who said, oh, you were two for 22, technically it was four, I got four takedowns in that second fight with Jan. Four for 22, I didn't even count how many shot times I shot, but four for 22, just for number's sake. Half those shots weren't meant to take him down. They were to disrupt the forward progression and the timing of Piotr. Sanhagen did a beautiful job of doing that, and I could tell that he wasn't trying to get the fight to the ground. If he did, it's a bonus. But the fact that he got to slow down and get Song to sprawl so hard that he sprawled and hit his face because he's trying not to get taken down says a lot about the game planning and how smart he came into this fight. I'm going to avoid the big shots. I'm going to make you wrestle more than you want to wrestle. And then when you put yourselves in this situation thinking that you're about to get your offensive attack going, as soon as you do that, I'm going to level change underneath you. As long as I don't see a, a, a under, uh, under level attack. I don't even know the proper term for that. Like a, a, an attack coming from underneath. As long as I don't see any of that, I'm safe. I could do this all day long. You know, Song should have started throwing some front kicks to really start to off, off balance and make Corey second guess about taking those naked shots. Because a lot of those shots he took were naked. They weren't really set up with anything, but then he started to level change and fake. And when he started to hit those feints, that really opened up his offensive attack a lot more. And once he switched to the elbows, because obviously the firepower was a lot different, that changed the game. He realized, you know what? This guy's going to step in hard. If he steps in hard, let him run right into a pointy, bony-ass 5'11 elbow. <laughs> That's it. And Song did exactly what? Because he explodes so hard, he commits. He steps through all the way. And as he's doing that, what's exposed? All of this. So if I step in and I leave this out here pointed and you run face first into this trying to throw an overhand and you step your head offline, your head goes right into the point of that elbow. He stepped in, sliced him. And I mean, like I said, beautiful technique throughout the entire night for Corey Sanhagen. And again, Song was still in the fight the entire time. Whenever Corey would touch him up and get on his skates, Song would recover, press forward, press forward, press forward, explode. And it kind of reminded me of a Piotr Jan because that's a very similar style, very committed to the kickboxing, very committed to his strikes, you know, not going to take a step back kind of thing. And the only time I really saw Song take a step back is when Corey stepped in with an elbow and clapped him and it kind of hurt him a little bit. He, I mean, he tried to go to the body a couple of times, but Song did a good job of covering up and then loading back up off of, those, off of those strikes. I was surprised that Corey didn't throw more head kicks and body kicks, but I think for a rightful reason, because Song does such a good job of timing that, it has to be really, really clean. And you got to make sure that when you're doing that, that the guy's not waiting for it to catch a beat on you to load up and, and catch you with one of those shots, the same way he put Alejandro Perez down with and knocked him out. He threw a slow inside leg kick. He timed it and just, boom, rocket of a right hand, dropped him, fights over. So, 
kudos to Sanhagen. Beautiful work. Um, this guy is going to be in the top five for a very long time if he wants to be. Still relatively young. Uh, Yadong has so much time. He has such a high ceiling. I like watching Song fight. He's a very dangerous guy. Um, for me, that would be a very tricky puzzle, but I think the same style, fight, long. Get him throw a lot of shots. Make him whiff at my head and dance around him. And when I feel like he throws and explodes, take my moments to try to tie him up, make him exhausted. And I think, like I like to think I'm a lot stronger than Corey Sanhagen. So if I get in those clinch positions with him, like Corey was able to take him down in the fourth round, uh, I think I would be able to do that a little bit. I don't want to say easier, but I think I could have more success in getting more takedowns throughout that fight. But, I mean, that's just the fight game. Styles make matchups, man, and uh, that's just the way the fight game goes. Like, you just never know, and that's why you got to get in there and fight to figure it out to see who is going to be the next guy um, to come out of that with the W. And I like the call out. He called out Marab. He called out Cheeto Vera. I would love to see Sanhagen versus Cheeto. I think that would be a super fun fight to watch. Two really tall guys. They're probably the tallest guys next to Sean O'Malley in the weight class. Uh, I think it would be very interesting to see how the styles match up because this would be the first time I think Cheeto's fighting a younger, more durable guy. I'm not, you know, Frankie Edgar, he hit him. I mean, anybody got cracked with that front kick is going out. Anybody got kicked with that head kick from Cheeto to Dominic Cruz, they're going out as well, or at least being dropped. But the fact that he was able to hit them with these other shots that weren't the most powerful, but they would get buckled, I think it said a lot of in terms of father time playing some playing a little bit of a factor in those matchups so it would be interesting to see that matchup finesse versus a little against the toughness bjj and the kicking game of cheeto vera so that would be an interesting matchup i'm not sure which way that would go i, I mean i kind of lean towards Sanhagen, but i really don't know cheeto's coming into his own i just think he's such a slow starter sometimes that i think um a guy like Sanhagen could try to outpoint him for five rounds um, and a fight with Marab, I think, would be very interesting because obviously he's got the flying knees and stuff. That was one of the things. So I knew when I shot in on him, I had to shoot up top. I can't shoot down below and get myself into a position where all he has to do is lift the knee and then my face is getting sent to the, the Neptunes, you know? So obviously if we get Marab in there with him, we have to figure out a perfect game plan to time. And it's just all about timing. Timing the cutting him off, timing the the striking, timing when to chop his legs down, timing when to enter on the attacks. And once Marab gets his hands on him, Marab is a freaking pit bull to get off of, off of you to try to break his grip. Not the easiest to do. And I can tell you that from firsthand experience. Um, okay. Next matchup, we got Robocop versus Chitty. This was fight was insane. Another nasty cut. This one got um, stopped via TKO. And I just feel like Chidi was just really, really tired from that crazy first round that he had. Cut him early, landed some big shots, and then somehow, someway, Robocop Rodriguez comes back, lands a big, I think it was a right hand, drops and stuns Chidi. He goes for the finish. Chidi survives. It kind of like a little bit of a back and forth there, tying up. He's, Chidi's trying to throw these knees in the clinch and giving Robocop opportunities to throw these big right hands and uppercuts. I'm like, dude, you got to get out of there. And in those transitions, it looked like he was looking for the elbow, which he landed a couple of times. But I'm like, if I'm hurt, I don't know if I want to be in a clinch with somebody because I don't know if my wherewithals are going to be all the way there. The cobwebs are going to be all cleared out for me to focus on what's going on. And obviously you're hurt. So your thought process might not be the most sensible because you're hurt. You're kind of just like, I'm just 
where the hell am I? I'm, I'm trying to stay in this fight. I think I'm in a fight. I'm being attacked. Which one of y'all just hit me? There's so much going on in the heat of the moment. You know what I mean? So split-second decisions. I think if he circled, I think he maybe survives a little bit, gets Robocop to chase him, target the eye a little bit more or the eyebrow, and maybe get him out of there. When you I Look at the cut, man. That cut was so disgusting. It was so deep into the forehead. There was like this long tube thing. It looked like a a, a, it looked like a muscle tendon that stretched across his eyebrow going north and south, though. It was kind of gross. I think, who posted? I think Bleacher Report or something. I saw it. And I was like, this is very gross. Yes. But congrats to Rodriguez. I picked Chidi to win. And I picked Sanhagen to win, so I got one right. Um, but I think Chidi was right there. It was just one of those bomb burner fights. And Robocop came through Rodriguez and got the job done. That's just the way the, the fight game goes sometimes. Sometimes you get a guy hurt early, you think you got him. Maybe a little bit of an adrenaline dump. Maybe Chitty didn't think the fight was going to get out of the first round. Um, but the better the better guy that night won, and that's just how the game goes sometimes. Now, the next one, Andre Philly versus Bill Algio. I picked Algio in this one because I had to pick. I, I don't like to pick with people I know personally. I know Philly, trained with him a little bit, um, Met Algio, watched him fight a bunch. He fought one of my teammates, James Gonzalez, on the regional circuit at Ring of Combat. Uh, fun fight. That was uh, a good one to watch back in the day. And I just thought maybe they were going, one was doing this and one was kind of doing this. But Philly proved me wrong. He actually broke the arm of Algio. I think Algio had a great game plan with the movement. His hands were down, very loose. The only thing that I didn't like about that is that whenever Philly would throw the right head kick, his left hand was all the way down, and when he would try to slip out of the way, it was just too close for comfort. One of them wrapped around the back of his head, and that was pretty much the beginning of the end because then he got caught with the head kick, I think maybe one or two more times after that, and then Philly started to really pour it on a bit. Now, the weird round for me, I don't think it was a split. I thought Philly definitely won, but I wasn't sure how the judges were going to score that third round because, yes, who's more in danger? And Philly said this in his interview, the guy on your back, who's seconds away from choking you out at any given moment versus the guy who's just holding your hand and throwing these punches. But to play devil's advocate, he landed about 20, I feel like 15 or 20 of those punches in that position. And some of them, maybe like five or eight, looked like they were impactful strikes. Not saying they were going to stop the fight, but I think they could have lumped anybody up a bit. If you get hit too many times with those strikes, with your face just being exposed, because you're getting punched in the face, and that's just the way getting punched in the face works, I think. <laughs> so, I, I wasn't sure the way the judges were going to score that, but I thought Philly definitely won the fight. That's that was just my personal opinion. And then we found out later that Algio actually broke his arm. I didn't know he broke his arm. Um, checking one of the kicks, and that's why you can't check the kick with one arm. You got to get both hands in there. And it's a super dangerous game. Um, that can't be fun. So hopefully, Algio, wish you a speedy recovery. Philly, kudos to you. I didn't want to pick against you. I had to pick. They made me pick. <laughs> but I'm sorry. <laughs> Great freaking fight. Um, you turn back the clock and show people that you are still a major player in this division and not to count you out even after coming off of a loss to that um, Brito guy, you know? It's just, sometimes that's just the way the game goes. He got caught, 
everybody gets caught. I've been caught that early into a fight. He got caught 41 seconds into that fight with Brito. And um, it's just part of the game. Sometimes you zig when you should have zagged. And I think that's all that was. And big way for him to bounce back into the win column over a guy who I think what was on a two-fight winning streak over Herbert Burns and Brito, a guy who actually beat Andre Philly. So, crazy. Joe B. Pfeiffer. B. Joe Pfeiffer. Now, I'm Medovsky. I, I, I see this guy all the time at the PI. I like this guy a lot. Seems like a really good guy. Always super nice. I feel like he just had a rough run in the UFC. I'm going to say after going 8-0 and and coming to the UFC and losing four fights, one by decision, three in the first round, I, usually that's your walking papers. Maybe the UFC gives him another opportunity. I just feel like, I don't know. I, I don't know what his deal is. I feel, I, I feel like we didn't really get to see the best of him or maybe he just had easy fights and he really isn't ready yet. Because, I mean, it's one thing to lose, but three in the first round, I don't know. I think that's I think that says a lot, you know. So, there could be something to that. And hopefully, he, he bounces back. You know, I, I like seeing people that I meet do do well. Obviously, he's fighting Joe Pfeiffer, a guy I've seen on the circuit multiple times. Fought on the card with uh, Dennis Bazookia multiple times as well. Joe Pfeiffer gets a beautiful right-hand finish. Left uppercut to kind of get his pop his head up as he tries to get away from it. He comes back with the right hand over the top, lands like right in the tempo, puts him down, walks him walks over. Pretty much could have been a walk off KO. The ref gave him an opportunity to stay in the fight. He landed one more big shot, probably probably not even needed, and the ref stops the fight again. I think Joe Pfeiffer, like I said, and I, I want to make sure I make clarity. I'm clear. I'm clear on this. I should say. I know I said I don't. And because sometimes people take your words and they twist it. Not hating on Joe. I think Joe is very, very talented. Obviously, he had a rough patch with the injury, posted his own handout, and caused the injury. And then you see the guy that he lost to, who goes to the UFC, goes one and four, I think, or one and three in sofas. And sometimes you just have a tough run, a tough break, or you just have the jitters and, and you just can't shake it and you don't get to show your full potential. That happens. But I feel like the performances I've seen, even on the regional circuit, I felt like he was more of a grappler, heavy style, which is fine. But then he gets the knockout on the contender series, but it was like kind of a back and forth fight. And then he manages to catch a catch a shot, perfect moment, knock the guy out. And I think he caught him coming in. And then he gets a knockout here. So before this fight, I was just like, I just don't know if I've seen enough of him and his skill set to see what his ceiling is. Not that he's not good. I was saying, I, I get the hype because he knocked the guy out coming off the contender series. He was the only one who did it on that card and get a finish. And Dana's made a big thing about it. Be Joe Pfeiffer if you want to get a contract. Perfect. So for this opportunity for him to come in and, and follow that up does a lot for his stock, in my personal opinion. He has a crazy story, very inspirational, and again, not knocking the guy whatsoever. When I came in, I was a straight-up grappler when I got to the UFC. 8-0, I was looking to hug you back for dear life and strangle your ass. You weren't touching me. This wasn't going to be a fist fight. This was going to be a straight-up Ronnie Yaya. I'm coming out. I'm throwing like these Henzo Gracie kicks. You, you bite the kick. I'm shooting on that leg. I'm taking you down, dragging you down with my wrestling, and then transitioning to the back with my jiu-jitsu and getting you out of there. That was the way my fight my fight game and fight style was. If I got down to a full mount position or to a guard position where I could get inside, I'm slicing you up with elbows. That was my game. 
So again, not discrediting Joe before making his UFC debut. I'm just saying, I just didn't see enough of him to make a full-on assessment to go, this kid could really, really make a run at a UFC title type of thing. Because that's what people were saying. They were saying, like, this is the next big guy. I'm like, I don't know yet, bro. I, I have no idea. Like, don't force me to make a, an answer or give a prediction that I really don't know. I don't give, I don't like to tell lies. I don't like to big people up that uh, I don't know much about. I don't want people to do that for me either. Because then if I don't perform, <laughs> I make myself look like an asshole and probably making you look like an asshole as well. So that's, that's just how I am. I'm an honest guy. You ask me for a, an a, a opinion, I'm going to give you the goods, and that's just the way it is. You know what I mean? Nah, I mean, Tanner Bozer, not Cemento won that fight. Anthony Hernandez, fluffy, really fun fight against Barrio. I was really shocked and surprised with his offensive takedown output. I, I thought he was more of a stand-up guy, but he had some really good offensive attacks against Barrio. Took him down a bunch of times, got the tri arm triangle, put him out. Now, Damon Jackson versus Pat Sabatini. Pat Sabatini, I, I believe, was 3-0 in the UFC. For him to go out there, he had three finish, no, two finishes, uh, two unanimous decisions, and before that, he had a finish, a heel hook in round one. Oh, actually, he was four and a one, two, three. Wow, four and on the UFC. So for him to go from that, and then to go facing Jackson, I think Jackson was a big underdog, tore his pec, found out on Tuesday that his brother passed, still makes the walk to the octagon. Shows up, lands a nasty front kick that wobbles Pat. Follows up with punches, takes him down, gets to the full mount position, flattens him out with the with the um with the back hooks, and he gets the finish. Now, whether it was verbal, who gives a shit? Whether it was a tap to strikes, who gives a shit? That was a bad position. His legs were doing the Superman like um like you're going skydiving. When you got a guy on your back and they got the hooks in that deep, they're hipping into you, your legs are shooting up in the air and you can't get your feet on the ground to start to shrimp out, to escape. Very difficult position. I, I dare any of you guys to try to get out of that position where you're fully locked down with a cup on in the middle of your freaking back and this guy's wailing on your head at the same time. And let me know how you do in that position because it's not fun, not fun at all. And the odds of you getting out, very, very slim. And if you do get out, bro, <laughs> good luck. Because you're going to be all types of effed up. You know what I mean? So, Damon Jackson, big win for him. That is four in a row. Charles Rosa, Camuel Kirk, Daniel Argetta, and now a finish over Pat Sabatini. And before this run, he lost to Ilya Taporia. Round one punches. Which, I mean, Taporia is a freaking tank. That guy hits you. I think he puts anybody out if he touches you. And before that, he had two wins. He had he beat Mursad Bektik. And before that, he won on LFA. So, good for Pat, for Damon Jackson. Condolences to you and the family. Um, that's a lot of mental fortitude and a lot of heart and toughness. And uh, I could only imagine what that's like. I, I don't want to ever feel what that's like. So kudos to you and the family. Hope you take a much deserved break and uh, enjoy the win, man. Four in a row, dude, go, go live it up a little bit. I think you made enough money. Might've probably even got yourself a bonus. Go, go hang out, man. You know? So I think that's what life's all about. You get into the sport. It's so tough, man. So mentally challenging that people want to fight all the time. And even like San Hagen took a year off to develop his skills. I think it's very beneficial sometimes to just, decompress, get your mind away from the sport because when you come back, you feel like you're fresh.
You miss it more. You can't wait to train. The anticipation for the training sessions. There's so much, man. Just like anything. Like once you like it's like we take we take so much for granted in this world. Walking, our eyesight, um, our ability to feel sensations, hearing, you know, um, simple things like having a car or having a book bag or having a house that you even live in. Like there's so much we take for granted in this world. So when you get the opportunity and you lose it for a little bit and you get that message from from uh, whatever, you know, whatever you pray to uh, God, um, Allah, I, I, I don't try to push religion or any type of specific religion on anybody, but whoever you believe in, you get that message from them and they challenge you a bit, you know, and when you get that challenge, it really tests your spirit. And then you realize how much you miss things or how grateful you are to have these things. And when it's taken away from you, you're like, wow, I didn't realize how much I leaned on that. And now that I have it back, I'm so much more appreciative and humbled and just honored and just happy to have this back in your presence or your ability to use again, you know? So that's the way I, I look at life, man. And I think when you have a, an uh, outlook that like that, that type of perspective, it really makes you more, and I, I, I'm not saying don't talk shit, man. Go ahead, talk your shit, son. I don't give a damn about none of that. I'm saying make sure you appreciate life. Take full advantage of everything that you can. Enjoy it. Live that shit up. And that's what I'm saying. Damon, go out there and enjoy that, man. Because you ain't never going to see that. You you may you may go on another terrible run, bro. Honestly, that's what that could happen to me. That could happen to anybody in the UFC. I remember that one guy, Josh Grip, Grispy. His name was The Fluke. I'm like, I would never name my MMA nickname The Fluke. The guy goes out there. He's supposed to fight for a world title when he came to the UFC. I forgot what happened. Either he got injured or he wanted more time. Something happened. He came back. He went on a crazy losing streak. The fluke. That could happen to literally any of us. So when when things are going well, man, you're on the, the high, the peak of the roller coaster, which you don't ever know. You could go on another crazy run. It could still happen. But I'm saying sometimes it's okay to decompress and take time to smell the roses, let your body heal, Miss the sport a little bit, miss the training, so that when you get back in there, you're so happy to be there and can't wait to learn and get better. That's 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 my message, you know. So, with anything in life, don't take things for granted because one day it could just all be gone in the blink of an eye, you know. So, <sighs> Trevin Giles got a big win over Kosi. Ah, Trevin looks huge at 170. I wonder if he's still a full time cop. Um, Loma looked boomy. Oh, man. This was a fun fight, and I can't wait to watch it again because that's how fun it was. Muay Thai expertise from this lady. Vicious kicks. Vicious, oh, my, vicious elbows. She was getting after it. And Gomez, she wasn't backing down. She was in that fight the entire time trying to go blow for blow with her. She got cut up as well. Did not need to go blow for blow. I thought she could utilize her Jessica Andrade-like style, maybe utilize more of her BJJ. But I think she got to that fire fight early, maybe got caught in the in the headlights a little bit. And then her UFC debut after coming off the contender series, I think maybe she didn't have enough time to prepare for a Muay Thai style like Lukbumi because of the trips, the elbows. 
you, I feel like styles like that, which are specialists, you need to specifically prepare for those type of matchups. And I think that's probably where they went wrong. And I could be completely wrong. I could just be some asshole just talking something I don't know. Maybe it could have been she wasn't feeling good that day because I, I know I've been there. It's just one of those things. But from the perspective on just the performance, I felt like she was a little bit unprepared for that style of fight. And maybe she didn't think the Muay Thai was going to be as good. But man, look, Boomy looked devastating. I thought that should have been fighting tonight. I understand the Chitty and Robocop fight. Maybe there should have been two fighting tonight. Because these chicks brought it. Like, standing ovation type of brought it. Like, everyone was so into that fight. And so impressed by how a woman at 115 could launch these vicious and fast kicks like that. That just looked like a... She just looked like a straight up beast, bro. Just animal. Troy Ogden beats Daniel Zelbert Huber. Honestly, I bigged up Daniel so much, I almost felt like I jinxed him, but I know that's not the case. I think maybe his UFC debut, he probably just thought, like, I don't know. UFC debut, sometimes it's okay to lose, and you, you run, run it back, and you do better. I feel like James Cross did a great job of coming up with a game plan. I think they studied it to a T. I think they rehearsed it to a T. I think they did everything that they needed to do, and they implemented that in the fight. Everything was so beautiful off the lead hand, lead jabs, Check hooks, stepping back. Anytime he would commit, he would step in for the for the takedown attempt, even if he didn't get it, keeping Daniel off balance and keeping him guessing. Then the, the inside leg kicks, the, the body kicks. I thought he fought a phenomenal, disciplined fight. Disciplined fight. And that's what high-level guys do because if you can stay disciplined in a fight, even if you aren't the better fighter, the guy or girl who's more disciplined and could just have good enough cardio to sustain the the, the the approach that they want to take, sometimes they do the, they do better. And this is what we saw. i never seen Troy, uh, Trey Ogden fight before, but I will say, highly impressed. He lost to Jordan Levitt by split decision, and before that he came from Fury FC. So maybe that's the fight I did see, and I just wasn't impressed. I just don't remember watching him fight. But the fact that he was able to look that good... I was like, there's no way this guy is the same guy that fought Jordan Levitt. There's just no way. And Jordan Levitt is an awkward style fighter, high-level grappler, and he does this weird stuff with his hands, very hard to hit cleanly. Um, and he can make you fight ugly too if you are very unfamiliar with the stuff that he's doing because it's so hard to look good against guys like that. Um, and that's what makes him a tricky puzzle, in my opinion. So for him to go out there and do that to Daniel, who I'm so high on because I watched the guy train. I just feel like Daniel is so good. And Ogden to come out there and best him the way he did, I was like, man, I got to keep an eye on this guy because clearly if I thought he was that good, then how good is Trey Ogden? That's, that's pretty much my ending synopsis after watching that fight. Jillian Robertson came back a nasty barrage of elbows that I think went to the back of the head, 12 to 6. There was so much that was going on. I was like, she's fighting against so much adversity. I really felt the ref should have said something to Mariah. But whatever. I'm, I'm glad Jillian got the job done and got the win. Was able to finally get the body lock takedown. She shot in and switched it up, came high, tripped the leg, and then eventually got to the back and choked out um, Agapova. They used to be training partners at American Top Team. I'm not sure where they both train. I know Jillian is still in Florida, I believe, still working with Dean and I guess another guy. I forget the guy's name. He's kind of gone viral a bit on IG for like crazy sparring matches and shit like that. Uh, I don't know what that's all about, but <laughs> congrats to Jillian. Um, she looked 
She looked good when she got the fight where she wanted it to be. I was super worried for her when she was in those positions, getting elbowed nonstop in the head. And um, she's a little undersized. I do think she can go down to 115. I don't think she wants to cut the weight from what I understand. But I think she would have a lot more success down there against the girls more her size because it just looked like two completely different weight classes. So props to her for being a smaller woman and still going out there and getting it done. Her grappling is super high level, but she needs to get the fight there. And I think having a couple of different approaches, even if she shoots in and she doesn't get the takedown, one, one critique of that fight, that if, if there's a learning lesson, I'm sure her coach is going to go over this with her. When she shoots and she doesn't get it and she gets stuck, just let go, break off the clinch, the takedown, the single, Throw a couple heavy shots down the middle, uppercut, over the top. Get your partner, your opponent to cover up or to fire backs like like they're a crazy person because they think they want to be cool in, in a firefight. You distract them for a couple of seconds. And as they do that mid-transition, you drop back down on that single or double and you bring their asses to the mat. That's how you get them to fight to the ground against these bigger people without putting yourself in these dangerous positions and holding... Because now you're vulnerable because both your hands are committed. They're, gotten, they're, they're already in a good defensive position. The cage is holding them up. Now they're picking up these shots. I'm like, they're literally going straight down. I don't care what you want to say if you're coming at it. There's no arc there. You're going straight up and you're coming straight down. That's as 12 or 6 as it gets, man. So might as well just make those legal so people just, I don't know, don't hang out in those positions because if they're going to get away with a few and you're not going to call it or you're going to call it after they got away with a few, it's just like, damn, bro. Might as well just make this legal so that we know that this is possibly going to hit us so that we don't relax in these positions thinking that we're safe and then we're not. Because then you get rocked with these big-ass elbows that completely change the direction of the fight because you thought you were okay in that position, but then you end up not being okay because you just got bombed on, you know? Last but not least, oh, actually, two, damn, there's so many good fights on this card. Javid, I thought he looked phenomenal against Tony Gravely. I thought Gravely... Didn't really implement his game plan that well. And I thought he gave Bashrat an easier um, day in the office outside the, the accidental headbutt. Um, both guys moving a lot. And when one guy's going forward and then the other guy's trying to slip, you know, you, you, you're probably going to get these things more often than not, in my opinion. Because you're trying to get out of there. One guy's level changing. He's that much shorter than you. He's coming in. He's got to get inside. And then you're trying to get out of there. Being a the taller guy, you lower your head. Um, you're going to get some type of accidental head clashing in there. Uh, nothing intentional from either guy. Javid doing a beautiful job of the range management, using those teep kicks, those side kicks, stepping in with the one-twos when he needed to, popping the jab, using some great feints. Um, gravely giving him some pushback, some adversity, obviously with the headbutt, some adversity there with that. Uh, getting a takedown in the first round and then Bashrock getting back up breaking through the grip and then getting on Gravely, throwing some big combinations, some good elbows off the break, and then him taking Gravely down, eating up clock, and then doing big damage on the ground from the top position on Gravely. Uh, icing on the cake, third round, Gravely just looked really, really tired, could not keep up with the tempo and the output of Javed Basharat, and the Basharat brothers go 2-0 on the week. Farid gets to the UFC, looks phenomenal in his Dana White Contender Series fight, and then Javid goes out there and puts on a, a very dominant performance, in my opinion, over Tony Gravely, who I thought, honestly, was going to give a little more pushback than that. So um, it's either Javid has gotten really, really better, uh, really, really better in those in that department 
which he has because I man, the guy works with Jake Shields literally all the time, him and his brother. So, um, or maybe Gravely's takedowns aren't as good. So I always play devil's advocate. I always give credit, but I always say maybe this wasn't what we thought. But you gotta you gotta be able to do that because if you just give the credit all the time, and then you don't look at the other side of what they brought to the table, it's hard to get a full picture on what happened and transpired. That's my personal opinion, and I think that's what has helped me get to where I am. So this way you don't get no false senses of security because the moment you do run to somebody like a Ricky Simone or a Umar Nurmagomedov or a Jack Shore who can get to those positions and maybe they're a little bit stronger than you thought that you did great over this one opponent, then you get a false sense of security. It's just there's just so much things you have to keep in mind because every fight's different. Everyone's skill set and the way that they do things, their approach is different. So I always try, again, I try to play devil's advocate. No, not discrediting Javid, not discrediting Tony. I think they both had a great fight. I thought Javid did a better job of implementing his game plan. I don't think Tony, if I were him, I feel like I would have shot more because I feel like his ways of winning being that much shorter, you have to get him down to the ground. You're not going to outpoint Javid. If he watched tape and thought he was going to outpoint Javid, Fire your coaches. Point blank, period. You heard it here first. <laughs> Unless they just really that much conf that confident in his power. I, I don't know. But I know he's knocked guys out. But let's be honest. You knocked out Burchak. No disrespect to Burchak. But I, I think he was a little bit chinny at that point. He had Maness hurt. Um, looks like he can't really take a shot himself. But he can crack. And then he got knocked out after trying to finish off where he left off in that first round. So again, you have to play devil's advocate. You gotta look at both sides, and that's the key to getting better. Don't take it from me. I don't know. Whatever. Nicholas Moda, Brazilian beast, gets the job done in the first round. Beautiful left hook. Uh, eventually found his mark. Van Cam constantly pulling back with his chin up in the air. I know he's being a taller guy. If you pull back, you don't want to pull back up. You want to pull back and step back or. Pull back if you're going if you're gonna bring your chin up, at least get the hands up a little bit somewhere around here or somewhere here, so that you could somewhat protect your face. Moda's power, man. Once he connected, I, this guy's been working so hard on his boxing with Ray Safo and the guys, putting in a lot of time. This guy's the nicest guy that you'll see at the PI. Always got a smile on his face, always so happy, always tells me about his diet, what he's gonna have for lunch at the cafeteria, and saying, like, I'm trying to take my weight cut serious and I'm only going to have vegetables today. Like, super nice guy, man. It's like, it doesn't get any nicer than that. If him and Marab could, like, merge, I, that's that's them. It was like a bigger version of Marab. Just super humble, super nice guy. Um, outside of that, that's all we got. Again, thank you, Bow Valley Barbecue, for sponsoring this episode's podcast. And remember, guys, if you like my shit, subscribe to my shit. Or spin it back, fish, baby. Respect where credit's due. Stay blessed. And uh, I don't know what else I was going to say, but I'll see you guys next week. Peace.